Welcome back folks, 2 Bits 1 Puck. I'm your host, Mr Intangibles, a tomato boy and a Euros watcher Dan Masters. With not my good friend this week, a man who likes to read the rule book and a man who gives no respect to legit heroes, we'll have a human. As ladies and gentlemen, he is not here. He has dared to leave during the playoffs to go on a holiday with his family. And if any of you heard my shows, my single sh- I can't imagine there's any of you that heard my single shows from around three or four years ago when we first started, I would like to say, please don't leave just yet. I have my uh, thousands of hours in now. I am comfortable. I believe I can bring you an intriguing and enticing show on my own. It may be half an hour or so. It may be an hour. I'm not sure yet. We'll see how it goes. The irony, of course, is that if this is terrible and I'm stumbling for the next however long it goes, you won't even hear this. So it's kind of a Schrodinger's cat type thing. But anyway, Will is not here this week, but I didn't want to leave it because I thought there was too much to kind of miss out on. I didn't want to... There's too much going on, really, that I thought that we had to kind of touch on at least this week. And if something big happens again next week off the back of you know this week's stuff, then we can we can bring it up again next week. But I also want to do it because, like I said before, I feel that part of the show that I enjoy is the fact that we can provide you with, you know, 45 minutes or 90 minutes or however long the show goes, you know, that entertainment for the week because it's not exactly been the easiest year for people. And sometimes you need something just to kind of take you out of it and, you know, help you get through your days, wherever they might be. So the good news is, for me personally, of course, is that I won't have a bad back this week from having to carry Will like I know, like I normally do. So and I will absolutely try my best to not fall into local radio DJ asking open ended questions to nobody that can answer me. I say again. I'll try my best, but there we go. There are a few things we need to touch on outside of hockey just quickly before we start on the hockey chat. I have to mention the Christian Eriksen thing. And if nobody's watching the Euros, because you might not be, you might not be a footy fan, I don't know, that Christian Eriksen collapsed on the pitch and was dead in the Denmark versus Finland game. And it was really terrifying to see. Really terrifying. I was watching the game with my family and my daughter and my wife got upset and I got rather annoyed at the TV production who were showing him having CPR and then having the, the, the defibrillators put on him and you could see his body spasming as the electrical charge was obviously running through his body. It was it was hard to watch. As somebody who's... Christ, as I... St- <laughs> As I start off the show talking about, you know, I like to give you guys some entertainment. As as somebody who's seen that kind of thing now and again, it's never easy to see. And I, I can't believe, I can't believe he's okay. I genuinely thought he was a goner. I genuinely thought, you know, we've just seen a guy die on the pitch and that's it. But credit the medical emergency on hand. I mean, look... It is lucky in a way that it happened where it happened because there's so many medical professionals around and the teams are so good now and you know even their physios are sort of like the top end of people in those fields you know you're not just getting people doing university courses coming to do it for work experience the the physios and medical staff that these teams hire especially at a national level are the best of the best so credit to him I'm glad he's okay kind of you know, was a big slap in the face, I think, and that 
we were kind of happy to get back to just normalcy and sports and the big tournaments. And then something like that happens and you just straight back down to earth again. Oh yeah, life is fleeting and you just never know. You never know when your time's your time. So maybe give loved ones a cuddle today. Maybe not tell them why. You know, some some British guy was talking about a Denmark footballer dying on the pitch. Don't say that. Just give him a cuddle and a kiss. You know, I love you. Hug your wife, hug your husband, hug your kids. You know, hug your mum or your dad, your brother or your sister. Just somebody close to you. Let them know how you feel. It's uh, It's always a good thing to do that. And I have to mention this. We mentioned, <laughs> much to all's consternation, we mentioned a few, God, I think it was probably around this time last year, that a rat called Magawa had been given a gold medal by the, I think it was the RSPCA, or some animal uh, kind of, what do you call it? Like an animal kind of society, basically, that you know looks after animals and takes care of animals. And Magawa the rat had found, detected... 39 or 40 landmines and this rat is a legit hero he's a, I'm, i mentioned this to will uh, this week in our private chat and i said that we need to talk about magara the rat because he's retired and he's retired an absolute legend this rat's just an absolute badass if you can find a picture of magara the rat m-a-g-a-w-a it's the best thing it's the best thing there's even a video on him and the work he's done. I just think it's fabulous that these animals are out there and they can do these kinds of things. We joked at the time, I have no idea how you train a rat to discover landmines. There's a way to do it, clearly. And I said to Will that Magara the rat has accomplished more in his short life than we ever will. <laughs> he's a legit he's a legit lifesaver. It's fantastic. So yeah, credit Magara the rat. I hope he retires to a nice stud farm somewhere and has all the sexy times fun he can he can handle before he uh, shuffles off this mortal coil shout out to you Magara you absolute legend alright let's get into the hockey we'll start with the I apologise people I will be taking drinks throughout this obviously don't want to get a dry mouth we'll start with the series that are ongoing right now the lightning evened things up last night with the Islanders I was a bit upset about that if I'm being honest because I, re- I really wanted the Islanders to take game two because I think Tampa, for all the plaudits and all the the kind of love they get for their passing and their moving and, you know, just the way they play the game and they've built that team, they have got some nastiness in there. And I appreciate the nastiness sometimes. I like, I'd like, because don't forget, like, when, when they were getting beat by Columbus, Kucherov went nuts and just drilled somebody into the boards head first. So they do have it in them. But they take it. I just... The officiating last night was absolutely abysmal. Abysmal. If none of you have seen it, there's a Braden Point penalty where he gets literally shoved into Varlamov. I mean, I mean, he's going fast and he gets pushed, gets pushed from behind, and then gets ruled a cross check, which is just unbelievable, unbelievable. I don't even know who in their right mind would think that as a penalty on point. There is no way he could have stopped. And then, of course, on the island, sorry, on the lightning goal where they go up to one, the lightning had seven skaters on the ice, and obviously Barry Trotz just lost his fucking mind, as he should. And just those two things, especially high sticks and things like that, I can I can understand sometimes how they can get missed, you know, because if a 
you know, a stick goes flying up in the air or something, I can absolutely see how you can mistakenly think that's the other t- the other team's stick and it's a penalty. I can get that sometimes. But those two last night are so basic. They're so basic. And, uh, you know, uh, coaches can't... Coaches can't give the, this was embarrassing, they're a joke, blah, blah, blah statements because they'll get fined like Bruce Cassidy was. And if you criticise them even more than that, you'll get fined even more than Bruce Cassidy did. So you can't say that. That's absolutely shocking. It's absolutely shocking. And we don't seem to let it off in any other sport. In in hockey, it's always, oh, well, to talk, you know, these guys have a tough gig and it's a fast game and blah, 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 like, how do you miss seven skaters on the ice? How do you not see that Braden Point was forcefully shoved into the back before he crashed into the goalie? How do you not notice that? It's just it's it's just not acceptable. There's a difference between them managing the game and trying to even out power plays and all that kind of thing, which again, we said before, I don't agree with that. I can listen to the argument. And if you want to argue that that's the way it's always been and that's the way it's always going to be, that's fine glaringly obvious mistakes like seven skaters on the ice I mean that's just embarrassing that's so embarrassing that's you know if that was your beer league team or in footy terms if that was your Sunday league or something you'd be having words saying what are we what are we doing here I mean how 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 were the Islanders meant to legislate for the other team having two extra skaters <laughs> I just and to I understand about reviews and all that kind of thing. When it's so blatant, that would take five seconds to sort out. And it's a slippery slope. I understand if you review that, what else can you review? But I've always said, if it's something that can be checked in 10 seconds, then fine. You can't tell me that the second the Lightning score that goal, that somebody upstairs in the war room, wherever it is, can't look at that and go, hang on a minute, they had seven skaters on the ice. Oh, hang on, we better tell the refs. It would take five seconds to notice that. Every goal just gets, every goal, all they need to do in the war room is just look back on the last 30 seconds of every goal as it happens. If nothing happens, don't even talk talk about it. Don't talk to the refs. Don't do anything. And maybe they do that. But I don't know how they could do that last night and then happily accept that as a good goal. I mean, that is just absolutely embarrassing. If it's the regular season as well, there is context. If it's the regular season, then that's kind of fine because you can, well, all right, it's the regular season. You know, it's game 17 on a fucking Tuesday night in Vancouver. Who really cares? But this is a semi-final for the, you know, for the greatest, you know, the greatest trophy in sports. And I just don't think it's, I don't know. I, I just, it doesn't, that just doesn't sit right. You know, that's embarrassing. That is really embarrassing. I don't know what the I don't know what the solution is because things get missed like this every single year. I mean just blatantly, blatantly bad calls. There's a difference, like I said, a difference between making a genuine mistake or a call that can go the other way. But when it's something so bloody obvious, even the point even the point penalty, it would have taken two seconds for the the war room to look at that and go, oh hang on a minute, he got shoved into the goalie at high speed. Oh yeah, that's not his fault. So I don't <laughs> I don't know how you fix it. And if they're not going to fix it off the back of that, they're never going to fix it, are they? And you can change the, you know, I'm sure there'll be a different officiating crew in the next game and all that kind of thing, but it doesn't matter because they're all, I don't want to say they're all as bad as each other. At one point or another, they've all made big, I'm sure they've all made big mistakes. And I'm just not sure how the, if you're the Islanders, you can't let that 
sort of get on top of you too much either. You've taken one out of two. You know, you've got you you've now kind of made the team lose home home ice advantage. So there's something there. If you can win your you're happy to split a series, aren't you? Going back to the island, which is going to be absolutely fucking nuts. You're happy to... T- if you, you think if we can take one out of two here, we'll be happy with that. And you've got to give the Islanders credit. I said it last week. And I know, again, the Lou Lamarillo chat comes up all the time, but there is something, I think, to his rigidity around rules and the outside noise and things like that. If you go play for a Lou Lamorello team, you know what you're getting into. And I think there is something to that. And again, maybe it's maybe it depends on the team. Maybe it depends on the the coaching staff or the assistants. I don't know. But him being on the island is a perfect fit. And him working with Barry Trotz seems to be a perfect fit. They they're very simpatico. It's it's kind of like, I guess it's like a hive mind, I guess. And let's not forget as well that they traded, they traded one of their best young demon last year, Devon Taves. And it still doesn't matter. And everybody thought that the Avalanche absolutely stole one away there. And they probably did. He's a, I think he's a great player. But it just doesn't matter. And they haven't had Anders Lee for how long now? Anders Lee has been out forever. And it just doesn't matter. They just carry on, plug and play. We play our style. You've got to live with that. And I think there is something to that kind of... Like I said, if you're going to a Lou Lamorello team, there's all these rules, but I think sometimes that can help players. We haven't got to think about anything else. It's it's kind of stupid, but... Even that kind of... My wife wears a uniform to work. So it's not a uniform, but she has a kind of particular clothes that she kind of has to wear. So she always wears jeans, trainers, and then she wears the... They have like a T-shirt where they work of the, the company logo on. And she says she's really happy with that because she has friends who don't have to do that and they do think, every, oh, what can I wear tomorrow? What can I wear to work tomorrow? And it kind of just takes that out of her mind. She doesn't have to think about it. And I think that sometimes about hockey players and the way Lou runs his teams. There's no sort of grey area. You know what you're getting into. Here's what I'm going to do. So you've just got to kind of live with that. And once you're in it, I guess you don't really mind. And hey, winning solves everything, doesn't it? If if the Islanders were terrible, we'd be coming on here saying how much of a joke Lou is because he's he makes these players shave and you know you've got to wear certain things and there's rules about being on the bus and all this kind of thing and it's oh it's living in the dark ages and all that stuff and they're winning. So it doesn't, it doesn't matter, is it? It doesn't matter, does it? We should touch on the teams that aren't in this series because they got eliminated. I want to quickly mention Dougie Hamilton. Firstly, because of his funny comments about Tampa, which is, I don't know why the Tampa thing is frustrating to people. There are days when I've said before that I just think... I mean, I do agree with the fact that, look, it's it's in the CBA. That's what they're supposed to do. It's not their fault. And everyone kind of now is on the side of, okay, Kucherov needed the surgery, but he could have come back before the end of the season. But obviously they couldn't because of the cap situation. It then enables them to sign their three RFAs that they wouldn't have been able to sign. So I'm not sure why this Tampa situation is so egregious to most people. 
And I think it's because they're so far over the cap. Because, like we say, I think half the teams every year go over the cap, especially after the especially after the um, the trade deadline. I think teams go over the cap. All, well, they do. They go over the cap all the time, but it's never to the tune of eighteen million dollars. And when the player who's been in twatty air quotes out all season and has only just come back from injury is clearly the best player in the playoffs. What's he got, like 20, 20 points or 21 points or something already? Yeah, so he's currently got 19 points in 12 games. <laughs> and he was great again He was great again last night. And I think if it's because it's... Maybe because it's him that kind of people are big mad and Dougie's big mad. But as we've said, that's, that's something for the league to consider. Luxury tax is a good idea. You know, you want you want to go to eighty one million dollars or eighty one and a half. Great, that's the cap. You want to go over that? Well, it's going to cost you twice as much up to eighty five. It's going to cost you three times as much up to ninety five in real cash or something like that. Or you start to forfeit picks, or you can go to hundred million if you want. You know, that's fine. But you've got to give us, you know, you lose next year's second, third, and fourth, or I don't know something like that. Because think then, teams will. It's easy then for teams to decide what to do and when to do it. I mean, maybe like we've said before, like Will said before, maybe Gaz and Bill look at what some of these GMs have done and some of the contracts they've handed out and thought, we can't trust you with this money. We can't trust you with a luxury tax. You're all fucking idiots. Imagine Jim Benning with a luxury tax. Oh my God. His fourth line ended up costing like 20 million. (coughs) Excuse me. So... I'm sure there's reasons why they don't do it, but, you know, baseball does it, basketball does it. Those sports do get lots more publicity. I want to quickly mention baseball, actually, thinking about that, as I take another quick drink. There's a, I think every Wednesday or Thursday night, Major League Baseball has a free game that you can watch on YouTube. Glorious quality, they just get the feed from the local affiliate, and they just show a game. And I've watched the last two games. Last week was Pittsburgh-Chicago, I want to say, but... Great game. I don't know why the league doesn't do this in conjunction with their new TV deals. Just want with their new TV deals, just once a week, just get a random game and just stick it on YouTube for free at a decent time. Because like it's like who cares? I get in the playoffs, you can't do that. I understand, but like I said, you know, ten minutes ago, fucking game twenty-seven, Chicago Dallas. Yeah, why not? It's it's one game. It's not gonna. It's not going to kill the market or kill TV deals or something. You're trying to get new fans in. You're trying to blood the next generation of fans to watch your game. And if you can put these games on YouTube for free, then there's a fair chance that someone will just put it on and leave it on in the background or something. I don't sit there and watch every single pitch of these baseball games, but it's cool when I'm kind of like... Because it's on at at 6 o'clock my time. So I'm guessing it's probably like one Eastern. And that's perfect. I'm making my tea, my kids running around, wife doing a few bits, just have it on the TV, you know, pop it in and out, sit down, watch five minutes, watch a couple of pitches, maybe see a home run. Why not? I don't understand why you wouldn't do that for, for hockey. Just to try and at least get some kind of growth or generation going. I know there's a drive this week that I, I retweeted and asked Marek the question but Canada has got a good soccer team 
And Alfonso Davies last year just let the world on fire and was unbelievable in the Champions League. This is a Canadian player kicking ass in the Champions League. And now Jonathan David has... And if you don't know this, but Jonathan David, the Canadian striker, has just won the French League with Lille, which is a phenomenal achievement considering that Paris Saint-Germain are owned by like Middle Eastern royalty, basically. They are one of the richest teams in the world. And this kind of unfancied northern French team Lille with Jonathan David in the team have just won the French cut, the, the French League it's a fantastic achievement and I was just getting to thinking that especially in times of Covid if you're a parent and your kid says I'm not sure whether to play hockey or, or soccer, what, which one should I do if you're a parent you can literally give your kid a ball and say well I guess it's soccer Go and, you know, go and kick a ball around. That's it. That's all you need. Whereas hockey, it's a case of, well, I might have to get a second job to pay for all the fucking shooting courses and deek fucking lessons and all this kind of stuff. You know, I'll put candling. We've got a put candling seminar going on two towns over in a few weeks. Can I go to that? It's going to cost $1,000. And you're thinking, oh, Christ, really? Soccer, you don't need that. You could there are there are so many stories of young African kids playing on basically sand or just dirt with two sticks for goalposts and they're playing with a rolled up sweatshirt. You could like in the favelas in Brazil, the stories of players who started out just playing on the favela in the hills, not even on a flat surface, just in the hills with a tennis ball because they couldn't afford a football. And they will just go from there. We we used to do it all the time here. I lived I lived in a, a working class neighborhood. There wasn't any pitches around, like actual football pitch. You don't need a football pitch to play football. You just need something that could be a goal. The classic line is is to jump you know, it's jumpers for goalposts. You find a patch of land, you take your jumper off, put it down on one spot, walk about ten paces, put it down on another spot, right now we've got a goal. And that's it. That's all <laughs> that's all you need. And if you're a parent during these times where people are losing jobs and all that kind of thing and your kid's got a decision to make, be it footy or hockey, why the hell would you not pick footy? Because now as well, you can look at two players and say, well, those guys have made it. Why can't you make it? And they've not made it as in, oh, well, they play for Toronto FC and they've won an MLS. No. These players, Jonathan David and Alfonso Davis, are playing for, you know, in probably the top sort of 10 leagues in the world. I mean, Alfonso Davis, especially Alfonso Davis has won the Champions League, for crying out loud. And I think he's what, like won two or three German Cups, four German Leagues, a Champions League. You know, this guy, I think is, I'm fairly sure, is already the most decorated men's player ever from Canada. So <laughs> it's not like they haven't got people to look at and say, oh, I'm never going to make it. Oh, because those guys have made it and made it big, like made it big. Everyone knows about everyone's going to know about Jonathan David now because he's done something that was not impossible but to beat Paris Saint-Germain in France to a league title is remarkably impressive remarkably impressive and he's part of that team and he'll go down in Lille folklore now that's it that team now will go down in folklore in France and anywhere around Lille Jonathan David will never have to buy himself a glass of wine ever again because he'll be a god there now it's kind of different for Alfonso Davies because he's playing for Bayern Munich, who have always, always, always been a powerhouse. Jonathan David especially. 
And I just think Hockey Canada's got to do something to make the game more inclusive, to make it easier for families who couldn't get that. You know, we just don't we just don't have the facilities. There are there are so many players who, oh well, we you know we're on this. There are so many soccer players where you know scouts will be on this trip to somewhere like Ghana or I don't know anywhere, and they would see this kid playing in the street and be just like, who is that? What I, like I've never seen. I don't I've, you know what are these skills he's doing with that ball? That's unbelievable. And they'll sign him and give him a you know give him a trial or give him a chance. That's all you need. Whereas hockey's just so like kind of closed off and insular. I think Hockey Canada's got to do something now to try and sort of win the young hearts and minds back because I think if soccer in Canada keeps going the way it's going and these players keep doing what they're doing, all of a sudden these you know these young players aren't these young sort of boys and girls aren't going to have Crosby or McDavid or Matthews on their wall. They're going to have guys like Jonathan David and Alfonso Davis because that's an attainable goal. I just need a ball. That's it. That's all I need to try and start, you know, on the journey to living my dream. But I digress. Coming back to Dougie Hamilton, though. This is interesting because the Hurricanes are exploring a sign and trade option. This is interesting for a couple of reasons. One, because obviously it explores the possibility they can get an eighth year. I do wonder if it's Seattle. Because as it stands right now, they're the only team not hindered by the cap. (laughs) I know they will be at some point. Right now, Seattle's not hindered by any cap. They're not looking at, oh, God, we better move these guys out if we're trying to sign Hamilton. But And then the other interesting wrinkle was that, I only heard this yesterday, the entire time Tom Dundon has been in Carolina, he's only signed one player to a contract over $5.5 That's Sebastian Ajo, obviously, and that's only, obviously, because of the offer sheet. And the stories are already out there that Dundon doesn't want to pay Brenda Moore. And I think that's kind of getting sorted out now. I actually did listen to 31 Thoughts yesterday and it sounds like that's actually on the way to being done. But if Dundon's that way with Brindamore, who's a fantastic coach, why would he think that he needs to sign Hamilton to a, you know, 7x8 or 7x9 or something? And, and players like Hamilton do need to kind of be careful because I just don't think the money's going to be there for free agents or players this year. As we said, it's a it's another flat cap. I'm not sure that the money's going to be there for these free agents this year. <clears throat> I think players who were looking at maybe getting 10 or 11 in what would have been maybe a cap where it's kind of 88 or 89, they're going to have to look at taking 7 or 8. Because I think teams have got, like, teams have got so much dead money. <clears throat> there are so many teams you've just got dead money just lying around. And actually, we can come on to another team the opposite side of the the playoff series that teams got knocked out, but the Bruins are kind of one of those teams who are actually going to be rid of a lot of dead money this year. And I don't mean dead money is in, you know, contracts they're getting rid of, and they're going to have a lot of decisions to make as well, but they have got a decent chunk of their roster sorted out for next season. Of course, the issues are, is that David Krejci, one of the most underrated players in the league is coming off the books as is Tuka Rask and interestingly both have kind of said that yeah well if they're not playing in Boston I'm just not gonna you know not gonna bother playing which kind of gives I mean that gives the the Bruins management management 
I mean, yeah, they must be doing backflips hearing that news. I mean, they must be so excited, thinking that we can, you know, they can get to Karask and David Krejci on a on a cheaper deal. And if you can sign, I know Rask's injured, but I, I fully believe they'll sign him at some point and bring him back next year because he's out till January or so. But why wouldn't you have, you know, if the Bruins in the off season go out and get a a decent backup goalie, maybe not even a backup goalie, but like Kamarazic or someone like that, a decent contract, bring two Karask back on a on another good contract. Not, you know, I'm not obviously necessarily like two by one, but team friendly ish, say around three and a half, four million. I don't think that's a bad thing. Same with Krejci. If you can get Krejci for around three or four million, you know, for a couple of years, or play him year to you know, just pay him year to year. I mean, that is a great bit of business. And if you can add a, a decent free agent to that list, or maybe a Massachusetts-born player from Buffalo who's not happy, just saying, <laughs> you know, and then you maybe got Krejci playing, you know, you, you've got your third-line centre's David Krejci. That's that's no bad thing. That is no bad thing. There's a definite, there's a weird kind of culture around the Bruins that players just once they're there, they want to stay there. I fully believe they'll they'll re-sign Taylor Hall. I think they're going to work it out. What that contract looks like, I've got no idea. I just can't see him getting paid more than Bergeron. If you want to give Krejci, if you want to give sorry, if you want to give Taylor Hall six at six or something like that, around there's fine. He's not making eight million dollars, especially not on this team. I just I would be stunned if they gave him that money. Absolutely stunned. Because he did, I think he cooled off a little bit at the end of the playoffs. But I also think a full season with that team in that dressing room would help him. And like I said, when they sign him, he doesn't have to be the guy. He doesn't have to be, you know, he's not got to be Taylor Hall. He's just got to be, oh yeah, Taylor Hall. That That's all he has to be. So... Add this to the list of teams again. A very interesting off-season for the Bruins and what they do. There are a few question marks, but they are going to have a ton of money. They're going to have a ton of money to spend. They're going to have 20, I think 27 million to spend. So if you can bring back guys like Rask, Hall, Krejci on kind of better deals. I mean, obviously, you know, Mike Riley's going to want a, a raise and hopefully he stays on. But there are players that will just disappear. You know, Kevin Miller's going to come off the books. David Backus's retained side is going to come off the books. Andre Kasher, who's been a disaster because he's been injured. I mean, no offense to the guy, but he's never played. I mean, let, let's go this way. If you can get Kasher back at like a million, well, yeah, you take it. He's an NHL player making a million dollars. There's nothing wrong with that. But they just still have around sort of 15, 16 million for free agency. So they could definitely add a couple of pieces. And I just don't think. The, the the two players, personally for me, that I would target in free agency, if I was a GM, I would be targeting Dougie Hamilton and Zach Hyman. I think, you know, even speaking as a, as a Bruins fan, I would love that. But that's, ne- I mean, let's get that clear. That's never going to happen. Dougie Hamilton's not going to go back there because I think wounds don't heal sometimes. And Zach Hyman is Toronto through and through. He would never join Boston because of the, the kind of rivalry that's developed over the few years. so, But I would absolutely target... Oh, if I'm Don Sweeney, I'm making the call. Let's say that. I'm at least making the call and saying to those guys, do you think you'd want to 
you know, maybe come and play for <laughs> and see what they say. I was surprised that Rask got played in game six after hearing that he had a torn labrum. And after the way that Jeremy Swayman had played sort of during the regular season, had some good games. There is that kind of thing where when you've got a young goalie in net, sometimes the defence will play harder. They'll try harder to try and keep him kind of protected. So in a kind of winner-take-all situation, I was kind of surprised that they would have played him. Because here's what here's the thing is, right? He wouldn't have got fitter during the playoffs. He would have got... the Rask would have got more and more and more injured. Kind of an odd decision for me. Kind of an odd decision to play him because at some point he would have had to come out. At some point... A torn labrum is just going to get worse and worse. He's not going to get healthier. So I'm not quite sure why you would do that. I'm not sure. Um, let's move on to the other series. Habs, Vegas. Vegas takes the first game. But only after Montreal played a hell of a first sort of 15 minutes. And if you can say it wasn't for the flower, that game might have started a lot differently. And we all know if the Habs get ahead, you ain't getting anything back off them. And I think they surprised a lot of people with the way they started. And they were all over Vegas. They looked really engaged. They had speed. They had some kind of... They were doing some hits. I mean, there was a hit on Petrangelo. I can't remember who it was from. I think Romanoff. Was it Romanoff, maybe? Yeah, a huge hit on Petrangelo. And I really thought, oh God, they're going <laughs> to... Basically, the Habs are going to do it again. But they didn't. Vegas came back. Shea the- Is Shea Theodore the best defenseman in the NHL? Maybe. Is that so out of touch to say? Like, the dude's so good. He's so good. I know he got a lot of love last year in the bubble. And he's been... I mean, that... God, that fake shot. That fake shot was unbelievable. I couldn't... I don't know. I, I don't know if you can... That's one of the things that I'm not even sure if you could teach that. It was so kind of... I don't know, just instinctive, but... It's only the first game. Vegas takes the first game. You've got to think Habs have got to get one out of this. They've got to try and get this next game. I think if Vegas go up 2-0, that's, they're not going to be able to recover Montreal. I don't know. And they got banged upon D as well. I know P, the whole thing with Petrie and is it Shea Weber's hand or his wrist or his arm or something is not quite right. I mean, again, that's not, that's not going to get healthier. And Vegas are big. They're a big team. Bigger than you think. I don't think we kind of realise, maybe it's that kind of West Coast, you know, well, they're on the West Coast, so we don't really talk about them too much, but kind of they're massive. I was watching the game thinking, oh my God, these guys are way bigger than I realised. I know they had some big bruises, but obviously like, the main guys being like Ryan Reeves, but they're huge. They're really big. And I think this might be the first team that can lean on the Habs like the Habs have been leaning on other teams. We should touch on the teams who've got um, knocked out as well. I mean, Mark Shifley's comments last week, I'm not sure. I just, dude, I mean, just just take it on the chin and say, yeah, I messed up. I thought it was going to be Philip to know that would shut me down, but it was play safety that shut me down. No, Mark, you shut yourself down. <laughs> it's your own fault. The best one was, I'm not going to, he said, he said, and I quote, I'm not going to cry about it, and then proceeded to cry about it. I've replayed that thing over and over in my mind and the only real thing is I gave up on my teammates and just didn't back check. Like, I just... Dude, watch it back. Just watch it back. You don't need to run through the guy. Stretch out. Try and make a play. Because then... Like, what did he think was going to happen? What did he think was going to happen when the player scores and you just crush into him? 
And then he said, oh, you know, well, we proved a lot of people wrong and we don't get a lot of respect. Everyone wants to run out Edmonton and Montreal to go on. No one wants the Winnipeg Jets to do anything. But that's what we're made of. Our community is made up of hard-working people that grind for every inch. And our team grinds for every inch. I was thinking, dude, shut up. Really, everybody wants Toronto, Edmonton and Montreal to go on, do they? Everybody. Yeah, I'm sure the entirety of Canada right now can't wait for Montreal to try and win the cup. What are you talking about? Everybody outside of Toronto hates Toronto in Canada. Everybody. Everybody outside of Edmonton laughs at Edmonton. What is he talking about? He's clearly he's clearly just incredibly, incredibly butthurt. And I can kind of get it. I get it. You get taken out of the playoffs last year because of the Kachuk thing and you, you, you go out in game one. This year you go out in game one. But he's got no one to blame but himself. And he's just pissed off. And maybe he'll never admit to the, you know, the fact that he thought he did wrong or something. But shifley, dude, it's your own fault, mate. That's your own fault. You messed up big time. And then to go and double and triple down on it in your end of season presser was just like, that's just laughable. That's just laughable. And then Colorado. I mean, (laughs) we said last week on the show, we said last week on the show, how long is it going to be until the McKinnon can't do it in the big game narrative starts? And it was the fucking next day. The next day. There was an article from the Denver Post questioning McKinnon. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. I'm not going to get into the whole fucking press conference thing that's been done to death. It was hilarious, though. Uh, but I like the moves the Avs made this year. You know, I did Brandon Saad, I did Devin Taves. I, I thought they were stronger this year than last year. Does Kadri make a difference? It's tough because, like, with, with, the Tavar- with the Tavares thing, the circumstances in which they weren't playing were completely different. I get that. But the Avs won games without Kadri. The Leafs won games without Tavares. So how much of an impact was it really? that Kadri wasn't playing. Obviously, you want him playing because he's a good player, but you can't really put it all on that. I just think Vegas found their formula and just strangled the life out of Colorado. And the main thing that that came out of it for me was that we've got to stop making comparisons to teams where there was a superstar on the team and then it took that team a long time to win and then they won. Because the only comparison from the salary cap era is Ovi. That's it. To to win, you know, to win a cup. We've said before that you know, everyone makes the Eisenman comments. You can't you can't compare it to Steve Eisenman. It's not the same. And sometimes the best players don't win. They can't all win a cup. Do you, you know? Do we really think that Matthews, McKinnon, McDavid? Can you say a hundred percent a hand on your heart that by the end of their careers they're all going to have won a cup? Maybe they don't. Not not all the best players can win a cup. Look at Aginla, look at Thornton, look at Sundin, look at Lindros. Sometimes great players don't get to do it. Sometimes great players don't win a cup. I I think this kind of... Well, he's too good not to win one. Yeah, he, he is too good. But the rest of his team maybe isn't. And this was the kind of copycat league, but the, the narrative coming out now is that you need to be heavy defensively. And that... That may be a fair point. That may be a fair point. Because I think the Avalanche on the back end just weren't big enough to cope with, you know, sort of Vegas leaning on them. And I think there's going to be a lot of players this year who were big kind of bruises that 
are going to be looking at nice contracts. If you're over, if you're over six two and around two ten, uh, and and you play D, I think you're going to get signed this year. Uh, I think you're going to get signed quite quickly. I mean, that was a thing that a lot of Bruins fans were saying about. You know, they lost Kevin Miller and they lost Brandon Carlo, who were their sort of two biggest, toughest defensemen. And you could see it just made a difference by the end that they were just worn down by the Islanders. And I don't know if I, I don't know if the Avalanche are then going to go that way, and maybe they can't. We mentioned last week they've got a ton of players to resign. Maybe they can't afford to. But to <laughs> you know the McKinnon narrative to start already, and I did look. I did look. You know, I've been in nine years and I haven't won shit. I, I much prefer that level of I'm pissed off to the Mark Shifley level of I'm pissed off. I've got no issue with players being fucking annoyed as shit after they lose a series, you know, in their quest for the ultimate goal. But as I keep mentioning, people got to stop with fucking Washington compar- uh, the Washington Capitals comparison for Ovi because they're the only team that we can really reference in the salary cap era. There's no others. And, you know, like I said, sometimes the best teams just aren't going to win. And sometimes the best players isn't, sometimes the best players won't win. That's just a uh, the harshness of it, and and the Hart Trophy. I mean, I read a Sportsnet stat this week. Of the last twelve Hart nominees, they've won a combined two playoff series. I don't know what this means, aside from the obvious commentary from various places that you can't win with a big ticket making X amount of dollars. I'm not sure, but I wonder if it's more psychological that. If you have that one guy on your team, that psychologically you just keep thinking, ah, oh, well, Austin's going to figure it out. Connor's going to figure it out. Nathan will do something in a minute. We'll be fine. They'll, they'll get us out of this mess. They always do. And sometimes they don't. And I wonder if the, in the playoffs you tend to try and lean on those players more to do more if you're a fringe player. Not consciously, but I think probably subconsciously. But I just... It's such a weird thing that the last 12 Hart nominees have won two playoff series. And I guess, like we said before, you know, it shows that it's a proper team game. I know Kevin Durant went off last night and basically won the game for the Brooklyn Nets against the, uh, the Milwaukee Bucks. I saw the headline this morning that he just sort of decided at half time, well, that's it. <laughs> I've, got to, I've got to do something here. Whereas... Sort of McKinnon, Matthews, McDavid can't do that when they're sort of running 40-second shift. It's even if you double them up, well, I mean, they're out there for two minutes and that's it. It's so difficult to score. You know, it's not like basketball where a guy can go off and hit sort of five threes in a row and get 15 points in, you know, 50 seconds, a la Steph Curry or something. It, hockey's different to that. I don't know how you, you, you... If you're a team, I don't know how you fix that issue of that you know, maybe a player looks for the extra pass to a Matthews or a McDavid or that psychologically, it's okay. This guy's going to fix it for us. He's our best player. He always fixes it. I don't know. I don't know how you fix it. But for the last 12 Hart nominees to win two playoff series is just staggering. Staggering. But then it is a team game. It is a team game. You play for the crest on the front rather than the name on the back, don't you? I want to shout out... Stephen Johns, who had an Instagram post this week and pretty much fucking bared his soul for the entire world and was talking in his Instagram post and was asked, what do you do for fun? And he said he didn't know because this is the dark side of sports that nobody talks about. 
we've mentioned it a couple of times, and I, I reference this all the time, but being in a pro sports team is like being in the army. And I kind of do that facetiously. Christ, put my teeth back in. I do that facetiously. It is joking, but my intention with that is serious. Is that if all you've known since you were, I don't know, I got I think like six or seven years old or something, you've been told when training is, you've been told what to do, you've been told, Christ, in some cases, what to eat, you know, where you have to be, the clothes you can wear. I know we joke about the loo thing on the island, but you then suddenly come out of that one day that you're not needed anymore. And then you've not sent. Again, no one's crying poverty for these players. You're making millions of dollars a year to live your dream. I do understand that. But psychologically, just put yourself in the position. It's like, you know, when you're at primary school or when you're at, uh, obviously, kindergarten, if you're in North America or something. Or I guess, I think, yeah, in America, it's grade school. From then up until the age of around 16, 17, 18, your life is entirely dictated to you as a kid. Here's what's for tea. Like your parents make your tea for you. We're going out for tea. Here's what schoolwork you've got to do. Here's your homework. What assignments have you got you in? Everything. Okay, get up, get dressed, let's go. We've got to go to these shops. We've got to go and see these relatives. Where are we going on holiday? You don't have a choice. We're going here on holiday. You just have to come with us. Everything like that. Imagine that for another 10 or 11 years up until the age of 30 or 35. And at 35 or whatever age it is that you stop playing pro sports, somebody says to you, well, that's it. Now you've got to figure out everything yourself. We can't relate to how that feels because as people in sort of a real life with a real job, we we, we have that option at kind of, 18, 19 to start making those adjustments. And you do make those adjustments. Because, like, think about this. From sort of 13, 14, 15, maybe you get a little part-time job to start integrating you into the workplace. Maybe your parents start helping you make your own meals or maybe you just do make your own meals or maybe your parents will give you money to go to the shops and buy your own clothes and stuff like that. It's all little steps that we have to take in life to get into full adulthood but if you're a pro sports player you've never had that how is Stephen Johns going to know what he does for fun he's never had the chance to to learn that aside from the you know aside from the obvious things during the off season which is well I guess I'll go golfing with my friends or I guess I'll go on holiday with the family he's never had time to learn a new hobby or do a new thing because his whole life's kind of dictated to him. I'm sure there are things he's not allowed to do during the off-season in case the team finds out. You know, in case they get mad at him or something like that. So he's never going to know. But he's doing a great thing. He's uh, he's travelling the country trying to help people. It's a, it's a good project. He clearly needs to feel as though he's doing something positive. And I think that's a good thing. And we should all try and follow him on that journey. I'm sure he'll be on his Instagram, but good luck to the guy. Because how are you going to know what you like to do when you've never been allowed to like to do anything because you've never had a chance to learn or the time to learn? You've been so focused on living your dream that that's just taken up all your time. We'll finish this week with some new hires. 
Uh, Gerard Gallant and Brad Larson. We'll start with Gallant as he takes over at the New York Rangers. I don't know why Gallant seems to have got short shrift at his last two jobs. He seems to have done a good job in Florida. Then he gets let go. Obviously, the amazing shot of him having to fucking ring his own taxi. And then the job he had in Vegas, where he t- <laughs> he takes a team that didn't exist a year earlier to the cup final. And again, for some reason, then he seems to... I don't know if it's he loses the room or he clashes, clashes with upper management, but they also made that change to Pete DeBoer. And you look at this Rangers team on paper, that's a good team. They have... If, if you think about what you need for a base, and we always kind of talk about this, I always think, you know, you need that kind of... You need a really good defenseman, really good goalie, and then hopefully a couple of guys up front that you can then build from, which the Rangers have. And... He has a, a fantastic base there with which to build on. And they've got some decisions to make in the off-season, obviously. And they should have a bit of cap money to spend as well. It's going to be intriguing to see what kind of different style he brings. They need a centre. I know the Eichel rumours are always out there for the Rangers. So, I mean, they'd have to try and swing something that way. They haven't got a second-round pick this year. They have got a first and then some, you know, a, a kind of a few picks later on, but... Gallant's going to have to do some work, definitely, to get these players playing how they should be. Because if you look at the team, you think, well, they've got all this young talent, but at some point they've got to start sort of making that step up. But I think it's a good hire. A more intriguing one is definitely Brad Larson. (coughs) Excuse me. The rumour was that Columbus interviewed a lot of people, so Larson must have turned something that ownership liked. Either that, or maybe it's because he was quite cheap to hire. I don't know. He does have options, but he's got a job on his hands. A real big job. There's going to be the Seth Jones situation, and likely one of his goalies will move on. And those two things alone should fetch you something that you can start to build on. Neither of his goalies are available to Seattle, so so it makes sense to trade one of them. And as we just mentioned, there is the Rangers, who showed that you can rebuild quickly and get a team together quickly. The issue is, though, obviously, is that our free agent's going to want to go to Columbus when everybody who plays there doesn't want to play there. I think there are three ways you can change it. Firstly, and the most obvious one is, Columbus needs to win games and have success. They need to be attractive team to play for because it can satisfy that winning desire that players have. We said before, players will happily play for a team if that team wins. You don't need to be cup winners every year or make the final every year, but if you have some sustained playoff success and you then maybe think they're a contender every year, then players are going to want to go there. The second way is to overpay for free agents. You can't lure players to Columbus like you can with the promise of playing in New York or Montreal or a great hockey town like Chicago. And it's tough that way because of the cap. But if you want to land big free agents, then... And maybe even cash isn't... Maybe the money's not even enough, but you're going to have to overpay. I don't like that too much, but it, it is it is a way for them to get players on their books that maybe they wouldn't have normally. And the third way is trades. I just mentioned, you know, Seth Jones and one of Merzlikens or Corpusalo. You've only got to look at what Detroit did at the deadline in the Mantha deal. I mean, that is a ridiculous, ridiculous deal. And... I know the the thing with Seth Jones is you want to get rid of him quickly and get it sorted out. But then maybe there is that if if we wait till the deadline, 
we can get a team to overpay for him. I don't know. Like I said, if Columbus got a first and two fourths in the in the Felino deal, if you if you're doing that with Seth Jones at the deadline, then you're then looking at a Mantha deal because you're going to need players back as well, and not just players who are going to be, you know, ready in four or five years. I don't think they want that. And I think, like I mentioned with Hamilton, uh, with Dougie Hamilton, Columbus can find a good team to deal with them in, in Seattle. Because if Seattle and Ron Francis are smart, they can build a good team immediately. Because there are players out there who want to move. Maybe like Columbus, maybe players are not going to want to play there or something. I don't know. But there is that kind of, let's come together quickly to build a team that compete right now. Seattle has a good picks. They have a second overall pick. They can probably acquire, because they should be side deals because of the flat cap, Seattle can probably acquire picks and prospects and things like that and maybe then move those for Seth Jones. I still think a team will overpay for Seth Jones. His underlying numbers aren't great, but then maybe that's because he's playing in a situation he doesn't like. Maybe because he doesn't want to be there, he's kind of not trying his hardest or something like that. I don't know. But the returns for Jones and one of the goalies won't be earth-shattering, but they should be big enough where the Brad Larson can start to build something quickly. And maybe he's not the guy. Maybe Kekalainen's looking down the road at hiring somebody else who's got someone else in mind and this is a stopgap. It's tough, though, because having a a stopgap stop head coach you still have to have a head coach who's good enough to provide stability and develop players. I mean, a stop cap, a st- oh my God, <laughs> a stop gap head coach for a couple of years. Well, he has to, you have to hope that in that couple of years, the young players you've got or that you like end up becoming something. Otherwise, that sort of interim head coach, see, I didn't say stop gap then, that interim head coach has kind of ruin the development of some players and there is an issue that you know there's a, an issue with Seth Jones maybe he gets injured you don't you know you lose him for nothing that way I still think a, I still think a team would take him and I think to to maximize his value you wait till as close to the deadline as possible and find a team that will take him and then re-sign him I think that's the way to do it but that is tricky because you then play in a, a high risk high reward scenario and like I said, if he gets injured, then you know teams are just going to try their best to kind of rinse you of him. But it's going to be just see you how know, Columbus does, especially under a, a, I would assume a different coach. But I don't know. I'm not sure if Columbus fans are going to be happy. Like the guy who was in charge of the power play for the past, I think, four or five years, and they had they were tied 26th in the power play. So if you're looking for numbers to kind of boost your expectations that he can be a good head coach as well then uh, that's not that, that's not really good and and they really don't they really don't score much either they haven't got aside from Jones and one of the goalies they don't really have kind of tradable pieces and maybe maybe he was just cheap <laughs> maybe maybe he's already there it's not going to cost as much to hire Brad Larson as it is Gerard Gallant is it because Glantz, I think, getting about three and a half, four million dollars, and maybe that's got something to do with it. And he already knows the system; he knows what management wants. So, 
you know, maybe he pushed the right buttons in the interview. I'm not sure, but interesting times for Columbus. I, I think they're going to have to, unless they can get absolutely ridiculous returns for Jones and one of the goalies, I think they're going to struggle for the next couple of years. Anyway, all right, there we go. Uh, I'll put this in now at the end. As always, brought to you by Wave Intel. Check out Wave Intel for all stats in the playoffs and all players, free agents, unrestricted free agents. Check them out. They have a raft of information there that you can use at your disposal to get happy or sad with any of your teams. Wave Intel on online, Wave Intel online and on Twitter. Being smart, so you don't have to. Also check out Three Men and Their Babies podcast at men underscore babies on Twitter, Aaron iTunes, Amazon Music, Spotify, Smart Speakers, and anywhere else you can listen. Leave us a nice review, it helps a lot. And tell your friends if you like the show. There we go, that's us for this week. Will, any last words? No, okay, nothing. All right, there we go. Thank you, everybody. Take care. We'll talk to you next week. <laughs>